This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. And for as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. Thank you, Investor Mindset listeners. What an incredible launch we've had so far. We've had over 2,000 downloads, all organically within the first week, and we've had over 100 reviews. So thank you so much for all the support out there. George Cruz wrote, great new podcast. Found this on Joe Fairless's Facebook page. Listened to the inaugural two episodes, and they were awesome. Meaningful content, quality guests, and well-thought-out questions. Keep it up. Well, thank you, George, and thank you to everyone else who left a review or shared it with a friend or has subscribed. And uh, if you haven't, pass it along today so you can help reach more people with the investor mindset. Let's get to the show. All right. Welcome to the Investor Mindset, lessons on mindset and motivation for the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. I'm really excited to be here with one of my friends and mentors, Andy McFarland. Andy comes to us from Utah, where he is one incredible investor, very successful wholesaler, doing a couple hundred wholesales a year in a few different markets with a team that pretty much runs the whole show while he gets to sit back and do the things that he loves. And part of the things he loves is is real estate and coaching and mentoring and helping people kind of live their dream and get there. Thanks for being with us here, Andy. Yeah, thanks for having me, Steve. Take it easy on that to get to sit back stuff. Come on now. Come on now. All right. I guess you're work, you're working pretty hard, but you have the option to sit back if you want to. That is true. Some days I sit back and some days I'm in the thick of it, but yeah. <laughs> I think you're in the thick of it pretty pretty often, but I, I like the fact that you have that ability if you want to step back, you can. So Fair enough. You're a lucky guy and, and you're obviously pretty successful now. So if we take a look back at your life, what events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today? Oh my goodness, from my childhood. Uh, you know, I'm going to give it to my mom. My mom was always, maybe, maybe every mom tells her kids this, but she's always like, you can do whatever you can be and do whatever you want to be. Like, you can do anything, right? So that's my mom. Yeah, my mom told me that. Absolutely. And I, I, maybe I believed it a little bit, right? But uh, yeah, she's just like, you can do anything. You can do anything. So. so you grew up in a pretty nurturing household? Yeah, I'd say so. Mom and a dad, both working professionals, nurturing, loving, for sure. For sure. Yeah. What kind of, uh, what kind of career or what kind of background were they doing back then? Yeah, they are. Uh, my mom is a physical therapist, was a physical therapist. Um, my dad... He, well, shoot, he was in the army. <laughs> he was in the army. So I'm an army brat. I moved around a ton growing up. But uh, he was a security professional. Security professional. There you go. Primary Children's Hospital. He was a security director. Wow. That's great. I was trying to think of like, wait, he did that last, but he was 20 years plus in the military. So that was his, that was his gig when I was growing up. So you're a super successful real estate investor and you didn't grow up with, uh, with a super rich family, it sounds like. No. My parents were like, no, no. I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, and I was like, do you, do you guys know about this? And they're like, we have no idea what you're talking about. So, <laughs> I bet that completely changed the whole game. When, when did you end up reading Rich Dad? 21 years old. 21. Wow. What, what were you doing for work when you were 21? I was working on a loading dock, and I was delivering pizzas and going to, going to college part-time. Andy McFarland, the rabbit that we've all been chasing, was delivering pizzas. Oh, yeah. Delivering pizzas. And working on a loading dock. I mean, I was I was working my face off. 
So did you always know that you were going to be an entrepreneur and that was just a, that was just a stop along the way or? No, I had, I really didn't know. I mean, after reading a rich dad, poor dad, I kind of thought, okay, I want to go and do this, but I was always interested in money growing up. So that was something that always fascinated me, money and interest and how that stuff worked. But no, I didn't, I had no idea what I was going to be when I grew up. No idea. Did not know. That's great. So when, you know, at that time, um, talk to me a little bit about what made you decide to jump into real estate. So after reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, they, they turned around to the idea of passive income. And of course, they use the vehicle of real estate. So that's the one everybody attaches onto. So I thought, I need to go get some rental property. I need to get passive income. So I was working on the loading dock. I was delivering pizzas part-time as well. And I was doing, I was a, a student. But I, after reading that, I thought, I want to find a house. So I just started digging through and looking at different duplexes and just everything, right? Anything I could find. I was just digging through stuff, just trying to find some sort of passive income. It's, I just wanted a house. I wanted one house. That's what it was for me. That's awesome. So you bought that first single family home. What, what happened? Oh my gosh. I wish it was a single family home, but it was not a single family home. My first property I ever bought was an illegal, non-conforming, bank-owned triplex. So what that Ooh. means is it's probably the most difficult property that I ever could have bought in my life. Uh, I nicknamed it the tree house, but it was, uh, it was just this trashed house that had a bunch of code enforcement stuff going on. It was zoned as a single family house, but it was set up as a triplex illegally. And I had to just go through, I had to jump through so many hoops on that property, but it being my first property, I had no idea what I didn't know. And I thought every investor went through all those type of things on every project they did. So I'm just like, well, I'm just going to do it. Right. So I had every obstacle probably known to man on that project. But because of that, that, that adversity and those obstacles plowing through all of those, I got probably the most education going through that property that I have since. I mean, it's probably the hardest deal I've ever done in my life. But again, when I had no perspective, I had no other deals to compare it to. And I wasn't really talking to a ton of other investors. So I just thought that's what everybody did. I just thought that everybody goes through horrible trash properties, dealing with the city, dealing with rebuild letters from zoning administrators, <laughs> dealing with you know code enforcement. Uh, I mean, there's just so many violations. I mean, I, I had a list of like 25 or 30 violations and I was just like, yeah, yeah, I'll just I'll handle all these. No problem. <laughs> that's crazy. Oh, I should mention the fact that I had no money for a down payment and I had no money to fix it up and I had no ability. I had no idea how to fix a house, which is why I called it my tree house. Cause you know, when you're a kid, most kids have a tree house and they're like, that's how they learn to like hammer nails and, and cut stuff with saws. Like yeah. I never did that growing up. So this was my official first time trying to fix anything, hammer nails, uh, drywall paint, everything. Right. Like I couldn't afford everybody else to do it. So it had to be me. Wow. You did all the work yourself. I did as so much that as I where, could. As much as I could. Is that where Treehouse Investments came from? That's exactly where Treehouse Investments came from. That house. Wow, which is the name of which is the name of Andy's company. That's correct. For all those guys who don't know, that is correct. Um, so obviously, that sounds like a big challenge. Why didn't you just uh, Why don't you just quit right there? Oh my gosh! Well, the biggest with that one, I mean, I plowed through it and I and I made money on it. And the biggest thing I got from that was not the money that I made, but the learning that I got from from doing all that stuff. But I wouldn't be denied. I just wouldn't be told no. The first thing, the first challenge that came up with that property was the financing. Uh, I was trying to get owner-occupied, single-family financing on a house that was clearly a triplex. And not only a triplex, it was an illegal triplex. And there's no way occupiable. You could not occupy it, right? So that was the first challenge. My lender came and told me, you're not going to get this done. And I was like, don't tell me I'm not going to get it done. Tell me how I'm going to get it done because I'm going to get this done. I mean, before I even closed on the property, that was the first thing that came up. He's like, you're not going to be able to buy this. And I was like, no, I am buying this. I am buying this. How are we going to get this done? Because I will run through a brick wall. I am going to buy this, right? That was just wow. the first problem, right? 
Yeah. That sounds, it sounds like no matter what, you, you had made your mind up, you had decided you were going to do something and you were just going to persist through no matter what challenge happened. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. And that helped. And I brought my friends and family through there because those of you who have done a property before, your first property, you're very proud of it. So you're bringing everybody through there. Everybody I brought through there, looking back on it now, they kind of had that look on their face like, oh, this is great. This is good. Knowing that it was horrible. And they're like, this guy is going to fail. This thing is ridiculous. Nobody should ever buy this house, much less this guy. But I was just so green that I just thought, yeah, this is great. This is wonderful. There was a tree growing into the house. And I'm like, yeah, this is great. No big deal. We'll just take care wow. of that too. Yeah. That's incredible. So what, what are you doing today? What does your business consist of? So it consists today of a few different things, but primarily with, with the house flipping wholesaling that you're looking to, you're probably talking to me about. Um, have a team of about 15 people. We, uh, we buy, we wholesale primarily like 80% of our deals uh, in three different states. And then we also fix and flip about 20% of our deals. So it consists of sending out a bunch of marketing, answering the phone calls, talking to sellers, negotiating with sellers, selling those deals on a wholesale basis to lots of other investors, or having a project manager who's you know, looking at scopes of work and, and, and managing contractors to get properties done in the states that we work in. So just that, being managed by a few different people. Wow. Uh, and just to put a little uh, emphasis on that, what's the kind of scale we're talking about there, Andy? We did a, just over a couple hundred deals last year. So most of those were wholesale, but again, about 20% of those, which would probably be about 40 to 50 deals. We did flips. We flipped them. Just a, just a couple hundred deals? No big deal? Just, I mean, <laughs> we felt every single one of those deals, but I mean, it's, it's somewhat normal to us now, but I realize that might sound shocking to some, to some people, but so when somebody is just starting out or, or kind of getting in the game, or maybe they've been in it for a while, but they're thinking about taking things to the next level and they look at somebody like you, who's obviously built up quite a business, did this happen overnight? No, this happened one step at a time, my friend. This was just me, myself, and I doing everything about seven years ago, thinking that's the way you had to do everything. Like everybody does everything themselves, right? Kind of like it was in my treehouse. I just thought like, this is what everybody does. Um, so it was just me. And then I slowly, I hired out little pieces. I hired out my bookkeeping. Then I hired out some project management. Then I hired out somebody to answer the phones. Then I hired out somebody to help me run comparables. And I hired out somebody to help me do the marketing. And then it's just kind of blossomed into what it is today. Like one person was handling three roles until they could only handle two, until they could handle one, and you hire other people. Then it blossoms into this team of people doing stuff. And I mean, I would not have imagined seven years ago, I, I did not imagine that this is what was going to be happening. I did not plan for this. Other people can look at me and others like me and they can say, hey, look, here's the roadmap, here's the blueprint, here's the plan, let's do it. I didn't see that. So it just happened line upon line for me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I just want to underline something for everyone who's listening in because this was one thing that inspired me about two and a half years ago when I started my journey was that, you know, Andy's just a normal guy. He's just a guy just like me or you. We might meet him out like on an adventure, you know, at a local restaurant or somewhere along the way. And he's just doing the same things that we're doing, except he's thinking about things in a little different. He's been out there. He's been in the trenches. He's been, you know, taking the big swings and now he's having big success and we can all do it if we follow in the footsteps of other greats like Andy. No, I, I absolutely, let me, let me echo that. That's, that's so true. If you guys were to meet me, it would probably be like the most underwhelming thing you've ever had in your life. I'm not, I'm just a normal guy. I don't have flashy cars. I don't have flashy clothes. I don't have flashy watches. I'm just a normal guy, but um, yeah, I've been blessed to have a lot of good people around me and, and it's just been, we've had some success, which has been cool. But yeah, any, anybody can do what I've done. Anybody, it's just a matter of thinking a little bit bigger. That's awesome. I, I know when I think back on it, I remember thinking about you and Justin and some other friends of mine. I remember thinking, 
well, if he can do it, I can do it. And that really is what propelled me forward. I knew that once, kind of like what you're saying, and I feel like a lot of successful people get there, I decided that things had to happen. I decided that they were a must, and I was going to push through no matter what. But once I saw that it was possible, it seemed like, oh, well, I can definitely do that. Yeah. So tell me, you talked about, you know, you're obviously an investor, but what other business are you running, Andy? What other things uh, are you invested in? So I think you mentioned this before. Well, a few different things. Uh, part of a real estate brokerage. Um, I do some lending through a self-directed IRA. So I've, I've got some uh, interest income that I make there. I have some rental properties, much like a lot of real estate investors, which is why we got into this business. I own a piece of a few apartment complexes, building some storage units right now. Uh, and then there's some just private rentals, just single family homes, duplex, fourplex, things like that. Um, do some real estate educating, like Stephen mentioned, may have mentioned a little bit earlier. Have some masterminds that I'm a part of that I help run and coach people through that. Um, also have some digital marketing, have a little digital marketing company that helps real estate investors with PPC, Facebook, SEO, kind of like an online lead gen type stuff. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of a different, different streams of income. So you've really, you've really diversified your streams of income. You haven't let them just be on one thing, but you've done that over a long period of time. It's kind of this empire has been built, not just, uh, not just overnight. Yeah, for sure. Always try to diversify different stuff, although it's all in the same real estate vertical, right? So I don't know how diversified I am there, but it's, but it's been good. Some different streams of income. Talk to me about the time that you tried index options. Oh my gosh. Anybody that's, so years ago, I've always been interested in money, but um, I used to trade index options, right? So anybody that doesn't know what that is, I really didn't know what that was either. But um, you're bas- I was selling insurance. I was selling options to people and I was straddling the market. So I'd sell a put and I'd sell a call. And what I was hoping for was the market to stay within a certain band, go up and down a little bit, but it just stay there. So every 30 to 45 days, I would sell a new index option, sell options, right? And then they would expire. And I would just collect premiums like that, right? So people would hedge by buying my stuff. I didn't really quite understand that. I was just thinking, hey, I'm getting free money, right? I'm selling these options. I'm collecting a premium. It's free money. Well, it's free money until it's not free money anymore. So what I realized with that was um, when people are hedging using you and paying you those premiums, um, there's times where th- that goes that goes south. And luckily for me, when the market went to... Uh, when it went south, it was actually in a bull market that went south because um, I, I lost a ton of money because it went south to the upside of the bull market. Now, if it had been a bear market that had gone south, uh, I would have been a lot more damaged. But I ended up, I realized from that that index options for me was just gambling. I had no control over that. Although I had some consistent wins for months over months at a time, I ended up giving all those wins back. And I realized from doing that that I didn't want to gamble in the markets. I want to control my own destiny. And uh, even though you can win a little bit with some stuff, overall, it wasn't something I could control. And it just didn't feel right. Man, I can't, the times when you're under pressure in positions like that, and maybe a lot of you haven't had that experience, but the sleepless nights are, it's ridiculous. With every tick of the market, you're talking tens of thousands of dollars. And for me, it was like the, the peace of mind was not there. And my quality of life was not there just because I'm sitting there walk, watching the market. So I don't recommend that type of, I don't even want to call it investing. It was gambling to anybody. But uh, I had my taste for that. And I thought, you know what, risk reward, that was high risk. I will, I will stick to something that's lower risk that I can control. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'd rather be in real estate than trade index options. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it's good that you found your place, obviously. When you're thinking about doing an investment, w- what are you typically looking for? Like, how do you think about investing? What's the mindset of investing that you have? I'm actually a pretty conservative investor. I mean, maybe it comes from, stems from like those index options days or or things where you can get those higher higher rewards. I think people will go into stuff that sometimes things end up being Ponzi schemes or whatever. People that want like really high rewards, really high returns, 
end up giving taking a proportionate amount of risk for that. So I look at my investing now as something that's steady, consistent, that if, uh, if I can control the downside, then the upside, I figure, will take care of itself. So for example, when I'm doing loans, I like to do first position loans against collateral that I don't mind owning. Uh, and I always make sure it's secured and collateralized. And I also make sure that the borrower that I'm lending to is somebody that you know, has integrity that's that, you know, they're going to stand by the fact that they owe me the money, right? So I don't have to go to the collateral for that, right? But it's like when you do stuff like that with a borrower who's um, a credit-worthy borrower who's got a good property, you're not going to be able to take, you're not going to be able to charge them a gazillion dollars for that, right? It's not a very mm-hmm. risky loan, so you have to take you know, an appropriate return for that. But I'd rather have base hit returns uh, as a consistent basis than, than losing the principal, right? Or having those sleepless nights that I've had before with something like an index option. Yeah, there's nothing worse than losing the principal on your investment because it takes so much longer just to get back to even to, before you even start making a return again. Yeah, isn't that the number one rule of investing? Didn't Buffett say that, right? Just don't lose principal. <laughs> don't lose principal. Yeah. And, and I've had enough experiences with, uh, I mean, I've lost money before, you know, and it's, it's not fun. And I realized like I'd rather take a, a more moderate return um, in which I can enhance it with just like my, with my, with my mind and my, my ability, right? You can, you can put, apply that to some of the investing you're doing to get a little better returns. But I'd rather take those type of returns than roll the dice or gamble. I have some risky thing that I'm the promise of doubling up right in a few months. Like I'm not interested in doing that anymore. I'm not chasing those things. That's for somebody else. Yeah, I've got a story with a, a project like that too. You've got a, <laughs> so from doing loans, <laughs> I'm going to incriminate some people here on this. Well, I won't use any names, but <laughs> so I, years ago I was borrowing to do a project. It was a, a little storage unit project. So uh, I was borrowing some money from some hard money investors, hard money lenders. And uh, I got to the closing table and the terms that I saw in the papers I was reading was different than what they talked to me about. Right. So uh, I called them up and said, Hey, this is that. And they finally changed the stuff to back what we agreed to. They put it on the table and, uh, but still, the terms were, they, they, there was still something that wasn't totally right about, like whatever, I had to close. I, I, you know, they had me over a barrel, so I signed it. And I realized right then, I'm like, hey, I want to be on the other side of the table, right? If you can't beat them, join them. So I had an opportunity uh, a year later to be involved with those guys on a, similarly, but I was going to be a participant in a loan mm. that they were doing, right? So I'm like, okay, let's do this. So I was on the other side as a lender participating in this loan that they were doing. And uh, on that side as well, I ended up getting burned on that loan as well. So, um, and it wasn't because the loan was bad, but it was because the people I was in the loan with were, were not very good. So, Mm. um, long story short, we ended up doing that loan, taking the property back as a deed in lieu of foreclosure. And because of my quote unquote partners, um, I still own a piece of that today. So, um, beware of who you're going in business with, beware of, of the control you've got in a deal and to make sure that you just know, um, you know, what, what can possibly happen and, uh, protect yourself. Cause it's not just the deal, right? It's like the person that you're going into that deal with can make or break an investment. Wow. So you're still stuck working with that person who you don't think is that ethical. You're still stuck in a situation with them because you can't, your money's locked up. There's nothing you can really do. Well, there is something I can do legally. I have got recourse. I could sue them and I would be correct and I would win, but also the bad blood and the things that would happen the money. If anybody's been ever in a lawsuit like that, it's not worth it for me to do that. But I know, and I think they know that, that, uh, it wasn't exactly, you know, it wasn't what we thought it was going to be. So, and so what would you do differently if you're going to do that again? Or what have you done differently? What I've done differently is I, I take more control. So I would not be in a, 
a position where I'm not in more control in a situation like that. And if I am going to give up some control, just know who you're dealing with because they have the ability to make the things right. But uh, by not standing by to what they said or what we agreed to verbally, uh, that's, that's what's causing the heartache, I feel like, right? They might have a different story of that. But I'm trying to be vague enough that if they ever happen to hear this, they're not like, you know, <laughs> thinking like, wait, Andy's talking bad about us? Because it's, it's my mistake ultimately for going into business um, with somebody like that that, you know. Truth be told, at the end of the day, everything's about lessons learned, right? You can't. You made the decision to get into that deal with them. Maybe the contract wasn't as clear. That's a good lesson learned you can take away. But at the end of the day, it's giving you this opportunity to say, hey, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to make sure that I'm going to have you know, this, this, and this in every deal that I do because you know, sometimes when things don't go well, that's when you, uh, you really take it to heart. Yeah, and ultimately, I take responsibility for that too. I hope it doesn't sound like I'm not. I Absolutely. Knew, That's the way I, I hear you taking responsibility okay, good. for sure. And I knew what it was. When I got into it with them, I knew that it was they were not the type of people that I wanted to be partners with. And we didn't enter into it as a partnership. But the way things end up shaking out, uh, I'm beholden to them. They're beholden to me. And they're, they're not somebody that I would choose to be beholden to. So yeah. I should have known that, that ma- going in. That makes so, so much sense. So you're in a situation where you're you know, one of the top people in your industry, in my eyes. Um, you're definitely out there kicking butt, doing some really good things, helping a lot of people. Why do you think you've succeeded when so many other people in the same industry have failed? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I, I, I've been pretty tenacious with stuff. I think a lot of people are. I, you know what? I've been through the downside, the crash. And I think I was pretty conservative. I've never really lived beyond my means. I've never really counted my chickens before they hatch, as people say. Because mm-hmm. um, people can look and say, hey, I'm making good money today. And they might think they're good, but really it was the market that was good. And they start living a lifestyle as if, or betting on you know, something that's coming. They think they've got this big project that's going to come out and they're going to make all this money from it. So spending that money mentally or, or actually just going out there and living beyond yourself, I never did that. Whenever I made money, I was conservative with it. And I always felt like, maybe it was just like, my defensive mindset, I always felt like the wolf was at the door. Like I always felt like, okay, that was good, but protect yourself because it's something bad could be coming around it. Right. And not from like a pessimistic standpoint, I just like, I've always tried to be conservative. Right. And from a cash flow perspective and personally, personally from a financial perspective, I always just try to be conservative and recognize great. You had a great year last year, but don't expect that you're going to make that or more this year. Right. So I've always lived that way. I think a lot of people, especially going through the crash with the big crash, like, People were living large, thinking that it was them and their talents and not the market. And the market giveth and it taketh away too. So people forget that. It takes it away and it takes it away hard because once you start getting used to living at a, a new lifestyle, it's pretty hard to go back to the other way. You know, if we think back to the the early days in our early twenties where eating ramen noodles and, you know, crappy food was was just a norm and you could live in a you know pretty rundown place no big deal but once you start living a little bit nicer life it's kind of hard to go back yeah it's hard to go back especially as you progress in your life too i'm married i've got four kids so to have to go back to my pizza delivery days on the loading dock i couldn't afford my lifestyle now with with the kids and all those things i've got and the responsibilities i have so and it would be hard mentally right to go back you come from a level of freedom and having some financial independence and having to go back to that would be tough so I guess I always keep that in my mind, think like, okay, don't believe it yet. Don't believe it yet. Sock it away, sock it away, mm-hmm. put money over here so it can make more money, right? Um, and live on less than you make. And that, that's always been my mindset. So maybe that's the reason why I've, 
had a level of success where other people have gone bankrupt and fallen out of this, right? That's really powerful stuff right there, Andy. That's really powerful. I hope everyone will rewind the next, the last two minutes and go listen to that again. So if you were going to go back to that loading dock and we're sitting there, we're jumping back in time and you're walking up to that pizza delivery guy on the loading dock, you know, he's probably not going to listen to anything you're going to tell him, but what would you say? Oh man, you get me all teary eyed here. You know, I always knew back then I was reading the real, the real estate books started with rich dad, poor dad, but I read all this other stuff. And I was like really trying to absorb everything. And I remember talking about it with people, my peers on the loading dock, and they were just in a different mindset there. And I remember my doc supervisor telling me, he was just like, there you go again, talking about that real estate stuff. Right. And I remember it was around January when their W2s come out, right? And he was, had his W2, he's flashing his W2 and he's just like, hey, what uh, 30 year old do you know that's making 70 grand a year, right? Because he was my doc supervisor, he was making that money and I was making like 13 bucks an hour, right? And I just remember shaking my head thinking like, man, you have, you have no idea like the wide world that is out there, you know? And I was just talking about real estate, right? Hadn't really done anything yet. I was just trying to find a property, but I was speak, speaking the principles of rich dad, poor dad. Um, so what I go tell myself, I mean, I always believed that I could be more and I could have that the real estate would work for me but I never would have imagined that I could have multiple different rental properties and income streams and people working for me. I, I wasn't even in the frame of reference for me. So maybe to go uh, give a little perspective, right? Cause I could probably get it faster if I had the a picture and the vision in my mind, like, wow, this is what it could be, right? This is what it could be. That's awesome. That's really awesome. I would tell him you can do it, man. Everything you think you want to go after, you can go after. As soon as you decide to do it, you can do it. The tough thing is you ended up doing when you don't have somebody in your stream. Like my parents weren't that way. I didn't know anybody that was a successful real estate investor. Nobody. Right. So if you see somebody, if you grow up with a dad, that's like Donald Trump's dad was a real estate developer. It's like, yeah, he he can believe it. Right. But I I couldn't believe it. My dad didn't own any rental property. It was just, I didn't have any friends that were doing it. So I was just counting on Robert Kiyosaki in his book and whatever things I could learn from other books. But I just didn't know anybody personally doing it. You're right. If I could believe it that, hey, man, you can do it because somebody was like like me and they'd done something and I could see what they'd done, yeah, that would make a huge difference. If I'd- yeah, absolutely. Well, because I remember I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I was 17 and my dad had given it to me because somebody had given it to him. And uh, what's really kind of inspiring now is that I went last Christmas, I actually went and I took that same book that he gave me and I gave it back to him and I said, you really need to read this. It's powerful, and I hope that it will uh, it will bring you the same thing that it's brought me is that inspiration. Go out and do it, and it makes me a little teary eyed saying it. Wow, but, you know what goes around it it comes full circle, dude. That's a cool story. That's a cool story. And you've been one of those people for me, Andy. One of those people who I can look and say, "Hey, you know, if he can do it, I can do it." And once you have that model, because lots of us don't grow up with rich families or with all of the means to do all the things that we want to do. But as soon as we can look around and find a mentor, and so anyone who's listening, there's mentors all around. You can join different groups. You can listen to podcasts and have digital mentors like you're having right here. Uh, You can go to different local organizations, or you can just jump online and try to find somebody to connect with because there's plenty of people out there just like Andy that are really looking to give back. They've made a lot of money. They've had a lot of success. They, they have, they're living the life that they want to live, but something's missing if there's not that contribution. And so that's a really big, big piece and, and people want to help. Yeah, absolutely. And what Stephen said earlier, you, you might not remember that you said it, but that must, the idea to make something a must. 
anything in your life that you make a must in your life that you really want, you have passion, if you have the desire that you will do anything, that you will run through a brick wall, as I said with my treehouse experience, you can make it happen. There's nothing that you can be denied from if you have that, like, if you make it a must in your life. But I think the problem people run into is they run into a little adversity and it's harder than they think it's going to be and they give up. Because it's, it's just plan on being 10 times harder than you think it's going to be. If you plan on that and you just say, no matter what, I'm going to power through this, you can. You can get whatever you want in life, but it's got to be a burning desire. Because if it's not a burning desire, you're just going to give up and go play Fortnite. That's probably a great game, but you know, unless you're Ninja... Like, uh, it might not be the best thing for your financial future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unless you have some kind of super skill. I mean, at the end of the day, you can get addicted to the good things, or you can get addicted to bad things. And, you know, Fortnite might be a great escape for some people, but I guarantee you the most successful people in the world are not spending 10 or 12 hours a day playing video games, unless that's what they do for a living. <laughs> True. True. That's awesome. So Andy, uh, what are some of your keystone habits, the habits that you do on a daily or weekly basis that you know make a big difference for you? Keep you happy, keep you healthy, keep you focused. Yeah. Uh, I try to keep things in perspective, right? I try to keep the most important things uh, most important. And I realize that there's a lot of just stuff that's periphery in our life. Work being one of them, right? All this stuff we don't get to take with us. Um, so in the mornings, I try to start my day with, uh, I read inspirational things, scriptures. Uh, I feel like there's, there's truth that comes from that. And I pray, I try to get centered there and pray and remember what's most important. So I start my days like that. Physically, I don't do have a huge regimen right now. I do 150 pushups a day and 30 pull-ups, period, done. That's it, right? It doesn't take me that long. I knock that out. Um, other than that, I get sleep. I, we've talked about this before, Stephen. I sleep eight hours a day. Like I go to sleep early. I wake up early. And that's how I do it. And I try to just be there with my wife and kids and people I love. I always try to make time for those that I love, right? The personal connections and anybody, right? I want to be, I want to be available to other people and to serve other people because that's where real happiness comes from. That's not the stuff that you acquire because that stuff's hollow. Anybody that's had a bunch of things recognizing it, it's hollow. You get it and you're just looking for something else. So it's what you give rather than what you get. And I remember those things that I get centered every morning on truth, right? What's important and what brings happiness. So. Wow. That's some, that's some really strong stuff. And sleep is definitely key to keeping your mindset right. You know, some people say, Hey, you can go out there and you can grind it and get two or three hours of sleep a night and just put more in. You can only do that for so long. It's not sustainable. Maybe you do that for a couple of weeks. Uh, I know that I haven't done my best work when I'm, when I'm like that. So let's go into the, uh, our final, final questions here of the day, the growth final round. What's a book that's impacted your life the most or one that you're most excited about right now? Uh, what category? <laughs> you didn't expect the follow-up question, did you, Stephen? Yeah. There, I mean, hey, t- tell me what, what comes to mind, right? Are business books, psychology books, uh, maybe a little novel that you're reading? Yeah, a little novel. I don't do a lot of novels anymore. I'm reading biographies of different people. Um, uh, the most effect in my life has been uh, scriptures. So the Bible and the Book of Mormon especially have been the most impactful in my life for truth in my life. As far as like financial stuff, Rich Dad Poor Dad was a good start. Um, what are those things? Uh, Jimmy Napier wrote a book. Uh, let's see if I can find it up here at my wall. To, it called Invest in Debt. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but that's a little known book that's, that's a fun book to learn about like, kind of financial calculators and kind of how to get things working for you. Um, that's a secret ninja book. There's not a lot of people who know about Jimmy Napier. No, Napier's awesome. If you can get an audio form of him, he's just phenomenal to listen to because he's from the South and he's got that slow Southern drawl and good stories. Um, Invest in Debt's a great book. Um, books like The Compound Effect, that's just a great book for just like 
he took a, a bunch of Jim Rohn stuff and Tony Robbins stuff kind of things and just kind of mashed it all together, some good consumable forms. So I like, like the compound effect for just overall motivation and some good stuff there. That's great. That should give some stuff for cool. people to there go, you go. There and, and, and listen up. So from a purpose perspective, why do you do what you do, Andy? That's a good question. You know, I'm seeking fulfillment and significance like everyone else. Um, and, and I find the most significance fulfillment I get is the more I'm giving to others. The times that I'm like the, the darkest times are the times where I'm like selfish and like stewing on stuff that's happened to me or why me or just whatever. But the times that I've got like that significance and happiness truly is when I'm like helping somebody else. And it doesn't have to be in a big way. It's not going out there and helping someone crush the world, but it's uh it's the guy that I talked to on, on Saturday. There was a, he's a waiter and I just, he was doing a good job and I just grabbed him. And I said, Hey man, like you, I can tell you do your job really well. Like how long have you been working here? And he told me five years. I said, dude, you're awesome at what you do. Like you're, you, you're, you're amazing. And that smile on his face and that feeling that I had too, just that small little interaction it didn't cost me anything. It was just being aware of him and who he was and recognizing him and being grateful for him. And that interaction like blessed him and it blessed me. And one plus one was 10, I think in both of our lives there. So it's just the things like that, a smile to somebody, right? A kind word, like that stuff matters. That stuff matters more than the, the, the dollar amount in your bank account. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't it incredible when you come from like a heart place? When you, you come, come from, from a place of love and with the intent of giving without expecting to receive back, you actually receive a lot more. A lot more. That's what it's all about. That's really is what it's all about. Where everyone's seeking for this happiness and fulfillment in their life. But if they would find that, regardless of the balance in their bank account, it doesn't matter. That's where it comes from. That's Kindness. Amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So you're obviously a very successful person. There has to be some people that you've looked up to along the way that have helped inspire you to live your best life every day. Who's a mentor that, uh, that comes to mind that you want to give a shout out to Goodness. share a little bit about their story. Mentor that comes to mind. Dang, it's gonna make me cry. This is the only one I can think of right now from a real estate perspective, which maybe you're, you're thinking about that. There was a guy, his name was Ryan Weber years ago. Uh, I met him at a, a conference and he was speaking on the stage and I you know, kind of was drawn to him because he had a similar life to me. And I met him afterwards. We went to lunch and ultimately going to dinner and became really good friends. And he was a guy I realized who was doing more than I was doing, but I was the same as him. In almost every aspect in life, we were married, we had kids, we were the same age. We were just very similar, right? So I saw in him like a mirror almost that, like he was me, right? So him telling me, it'd be like, you know, you're, you're, person coming back to the future and saying, Hey, you can do this. I believed him. And he said that you can do this. And he gave me permission to be bigger than I was. Cause he's like, man, why aren't you doing more? And that it just clicked for me there. So he caused me to be, to me more, to really kick it more into a higher gear because I believed him because he was more like me. So Ryan Weber, and he, he passed away a few years ago, tragically, but uh, yeah, he was, he gave me permission to be better than I was bigger than I was from a real estate perspective. Sounds like somebody who's really inspired you. And from that little interaction, just at an event, you never know who you're going to meet and how it's going to affect you and where you're going to go. Yeah. Years later, you might be sitting on a podcast interviewing them in your own living room three years later. So um, <laughs> with, with that said, Andy, thank you so much for being here. This was incredible. It's always good to talk to you. From the bottom of my heart, I really appreciate you. Where can where can people find out more about you and get in touch with you? Oh my goodness. Well, I'm at uh, seven figure flipping, six figure flipping, eight figure flipping. That's kind of like the mastermind circles that I run around in. So, uh, reaching out to me in those circles, um, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm on socially online and stuff. So, or Facebook, awesome. you know, I don't, I don't check my Facebook as often as I probably should, but you can go try to friend me on Facebook. Yeah. So anybody who's thinking about 
getting into flipping or wholesaling and wants to go down that path, definitely a good group. I would recommend them because I've, you know, personally been touched by that. It's like a family. It's like a, like an amazing community, but thank you so much, Andy. We appreciate it. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me on here and you're a good man. You're putting, you're adding good, positive things to the world. And I appreciate that. Awesome. Thanks buddy. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level. 